Bannon has like syphilis and leprosy and they're fighting <laughs> they're fighting for domination over who gets to wreak the most havoc on that man's face uh, oh god robot house just for the record I said so I was just finished saying something really smart about contemporary events I want the That's record true. to reflect yeah. that no who's who's insightful bailiff let the record show all right welcome to the show everybody this is this is a very special episode today um, I'm your host, Asher Lack. With me are my co-hosts, Sam Alan Lazarus, <laughs> and our lawyer, Raphael Ruttenberg, ESQ. Howdy. Um, Alan is not here today, um, so it's just the three of us, I don't know, well, I would say beardos, but I don't have a beard. So. Sort of. Alan, he texted he got stuck in his gimp suit or something <laughs> like that, and yeah. zipper got stuck. Cool. Yeah, so today we're talking about Godzilla, um, the 1954 uh, Japanese kaiju origin story movie, which is, I'm I'm pretty stoked for this. Yeah. What's a kaiju? Explain. Oh, a kaiju monster. is is a monster, but it's, it's you know, it's like a big baggy suited person <laughs> monster. <laughs> well, I mean. Like I think Donald Trump? Probably <laughs> big baggy suits. He went there, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! All right, I know. Copyright. We're, trying, we're all a little bit low T tonight, just just oh, because tea. it's been like, I don't know. It's been a it's been a long weekend, and I mean, when this episode comes out, all of these historical events will be long in the past. But I think that the Kavanaugh nomination, which is going through right now, it's September thirtieth, twenty eighteen. Dear listener, um, I think that it's taken a toll on all of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Also. You know, it was my birthday. Speaking yeah, of monsters, you just like, you know, it takes a toll. Happy birthday. Thanks. It's just like watching monstrous events unfold. Yeah. Maybe there's a little bit of an, an analog, um, analogous situation to to Godzilla. Is that we're helpless while this yeah. behemoth smashes everything <laughs> that yeah. we love and hold dear. We can yeah. only and hope. We're, we're totally helpless. Yeah. That we could build a mecha Godzilla to destroy yeah. this motherfucker. Yeah. Spoiler. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. So today <laughs> on the show... <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Spoiler for the fifth movie. <laughs> yeah, so so today on the show we're going to talk about... <laughs> We've tried everything. Uh, a giant moth. <laughs> We've, uh, there are other I haven't seen the other. I can't think of it. Son of Godzilla. A huge There's eel. A three gamera. A river... Yeah. A rib, a thousand river otters in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, um, slug, slug man, <laughs> slug man. That's oh God! If like you're listening to Tra- Chapo Trap House, why do you keep Shout shouting out. out to them? Yeah, no, I'm not should. shouting out to them. I'm threatening them. <laughs> you're, We're you're coming for you. Them. <laughs> if I see you in the street, I'm not even gonna tap the brakes. <laughs> We're taking over. Uh, you know, it's funny. The most obnoxious podcast. Yeah. Um. Cool. So yeah, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the Manhattan Project. And I would say, you know, in a way, watching this movie and the reason that this is a very special episode is because, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but like, you know, one of my favorite sort of tropes in, in television watching is when you have like a sort of a band of characters and then you get an origin episode about one of them. That's something that I like, like you generally really love getting a deep dive on someone. So today we've got a Sam origin oh, episode. I don't, I don't know if that's a... I think it's pretty legit. I mean, so so here's the deal, guys. 
the the reason that that Godzilla relates to Sam's life is because Sam's grandfather worked on the Manhattan Project, um, oh, and was part of the team that developed the hydrogen bomb. It's we'll true. talk a lot about that more and just sort of the morality of Sam's grandpa. Yeah, Sam's yeah. grandpa. Basically, we're gonna, we're gonna be no. Um, I thought we were just gonna talk about oxygen destroyer what the hell that was yeah, yeah. oh god i mean my grandfather like also worked on that actually <laughs> yeah, <he did. laughs> yeah so i mean um yeah we're gonna talk a little bit about that just about world war ii and i guess sort of like the birth. should we do a recap of world war ii yeah <laughs> so this, basically um, the beer uh, hall push <laughs> started battle uh, the I don't know battle why. the bulge <laughs> what's god. what's the first thing on your list of notes there so a huge part of this, we're going to be talking about the Manhattan Project, and then more globally, I kind of wanted to talk a bit today about um, the idea of knowledge that can or should be forbidden, because this movie touches on that, and it's it's interesting that this is like this movie is like a deep dive into sort of like Sam's origin story, and then I think Sam and my origin story, partially in like pre-podcast friendship. Um, you mean the origin of our? Our rivalry, yeah, the origin of our like mutual pact to destroy one another, right. yeah, um, and and sort of more globally, like the story of you know any kind of pair of arch rivals that used to be friends, like Magneto <laughs> and Professor X, or oh, like Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I I think I think I'd be Dumbledore, but I think you'd be Professor X. Does that make sense? I don't think that works. Professor X was bald. all right cool um yeah so let's start with the breakdown uh yeah do you guys this one's break it down (laughs) are we gonna have sound effects like a sound effect oh we should have a boom yeah they should all just be like (laughs) 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 that's the only sound effect you need anyway um if you haven't seen godzilla i don't know let's start out with like just i fucking love this movie i was was shocked how good it was it was a treat yeah and like it, more globally is like what's amazing to me is how many of these movies I remember being awesome and watching them and be like oh god no you're mm-hmm. ruining it yeah and then there's so many movies where I'm like oh this is gonna be so corny and then in watching it I'm like oh there's actual real depth to this yeah like there's so like uh, listeners if you guys are gonna go back and and watch Godzilla like the original 1954 film is should be completely divorced from its subsequent sequels and all of the sort of kaiju genre. Because I think the movie itself actually has depth. It's a really kind of beautiful piece of filmmaking. Um, I mean, not being a uh, geek about it or knowing much, but I, probably there are other kaiju movies that are similarly deep. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. And obviously, like, the giant monster fighting trope is something that runs through not just kaiju movies, but, like, so much Japanese cultural Yeah, post-war. I had an interesting thought, actually, like, in the, I guess we'll talk in more depth about this later, but the, in the context of, like, this as a sort of escapist fantasy or uh, realization of fears about nuclear war um, and genocide in general and yeah. whatever... Um, Actually, Godzilla is scarier because there's no reason, right? Like, kaiju just come out of the ocean and destroy things and then go away. It's not like there's an enemy you can reason with or, right? There's no villain in this movie. Yeah, there's no... Well, well, man, right? Yeah, there's no no propensity for war. I guess they didn't feel a need to sort of like the trope of 
there being a villainous scientist right. who's like or so secretly behind Godzilla is not yeah yeah it's yeah not, it's not there or it's like just, a, you're right it's like inexplicable monster shows up yeah yeah like a terrible so government terrifying. official who refuses to act right. there's no yeah you're yeah. totally right that there's no villain there's also kind of a very beautiful love story at the center yeah. of this movie which isn't kind of explicitly overdone it's quite again. What what shocks me the most is like the movies that we come back to, or in in this case, I had actually never really seen the original all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, is the light touch that the classics really have? Yeah, like that. It's actually quite a small story. It's ninety minutes long, which thank God. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm imposing. Like I saw the the I was on a plane like a month ago, and I saw like the the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and the movie was straight up almost three hours, and I was like, is this Doctor Zhivago? Like. They gotta show all the merchandise. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess they gotta so. show all the action the, figures and the new characters. Yeah, yeah. it's just and like the they yeah. show the t- the the TV you need to buy and the the, the car you need, to buy. you need to buy. You need to buy. Yeah, yeah, it's like 120 minutes of like exposition and then another half hour of explosions, and that's like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how it's like you spend you know three weeks of your life collectively like peeing. It feels like that. It's it's just like three weeks of my life explosions if they just <laughs> cut them all together they did like a super cut right it would just be like this is fucking Here intolerable yeah missing that fucking superhero movie shit i just i turned it off like at some point anyway I tried it. um yeah so let's just do the quick plot breakdown today um i wish alan was here so we could force him to do it mm. um but but basically the movie is about uh like a Japanese fishing boat gets sort of destroyed at the beginning of the film inexplicably, inexplicably and there's like a radiation uh, trace on on the boat. Two, two, three boats? Yeah. Two or three boats. Yeah, there are some survivors, but they don't quite understand what's happened. And over the course of the movie, we sort of get a sense that there's this uh, giant monster lurking. We don't see Godzilla actually until about 45 minutes in, right? It's not in his totality, yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, and uh, it turns out that like nuclear tests have disturbed the natural habitat of this giant ocean reptile, which, like, I don't know, suspension of disbelief, that was pretty kind of like ocean reptile. Well, reptiles breathe oxygen, so that's No, they not- kind of talked about that. He said like halfway between... The dinosaurs and the amphibians. There was some middle species, right? He has that chart. Uh, so they talked about it being a creature of the Jurassic era, and at least the translation that I saw talked about it being two million years ago. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, a lot of the science in this movie is way off. Was that a? I mean, was that how they thought of it at the time in the fifties? They think the Jurassic no, no. era was. They didn't. They no. just. It's just wrong. wrong. Yeah. Well, no, he says trilobites. I forgot to look it up. He says trilobites are two million years old. And then later somebody else refers to Godzilla as two million years old. Because even I, a guy who, you know, doesn't know a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I know that the dinosaurs died out. And how. Yeah. (laughs) Over 60 million years ago. Yes. Not two million years ago. That's accurate. That's a difference of a lot of million years. Yes. Yeah. Jurassic era, I think, was even before that. Yes, Jurassic you're, you're Park. Correct. So Jurassic the 90s. Park was in the nineties. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And they recently rebooted it way before two million years ago. And it's gritty now. It's gritty. The dinosaurs smoke. <laughs> the dinosaurs swear. <laughs> the dinosaurs have sex on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Just 120 minutes of dinosaur boning. 
I would, Dino I would Boney. watch that. Dino I would comfortably <laughs> take my father to see that movie because I think that it would be less awkward his, than most his, conversations he has senescence. at the bank. <laughs> <laughs> so, so essentially, you know, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, um, it's an undefeatable lizard who ravages one island and then it ravages Tokyo. And uh, then it goes back to its abode because they chase it away with lights. This scientist comes forward and has a weapon that kills all of the oxygen in the water. It's a stupid... The premise of the weapon is really stupid. It turns oxygen into a fluid, and then there's a second technology, the oxygen destroyer. This was my understanding. Yeah. Which destroys all the oxygen yeah, that's released. That was a little... That's a little rough around the edges. Yeah, but the science I mean, like, of that this is, is like, this like Yeah, it's like, you know... Look, I mean, it, we all know that the most uh, scientifically... Uh, the most integrity of science in any movie is the core. <laughs> That's going to be our Christmas episode. That's going to be our Christmas episode. But yeah, the, the science the science in uh, this was, and I, as a non-scientist, I could tell this was doo-doo. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, 1954, what are you going to do? Yeah, well, yeah, what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> witchcraft. Like, well, yeah, no, I mean, in white lab coats being like, the problem with your pregnancy is you're not getting enough thalidomide. <laughs> Roll it up in this cigarette. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, and, and it's an interesting thing of like a, a trope that we see a lot throughout. I wonder when this turned around. I feel like it's only just turning around now. The view of like uh, science as running counter to nature, where it's like, yeah, science is something that we've used as a tool to overcome nature. And, and this movie feeds into that, but just that, that 50s point of view of like, well, now, thanks to nourishing formula, no one ever needs to use breast milk again. You know, and it's just like, well... And then flash forward 30 years. Science tells us breast milk is good for babies. Yeah, and it's like, well, thanks. Oh, you're fucking genius. Yeah. yeah, which, I mean, I guess we get a lot into the hubris of, like... That, um... Science. Is science like industrial very, complex. Yeah, that's, very, that's a very old thing. Yeah. I think it ebbs and flows, and there's always, like, you know... the. the Power, powerful institutions, powerful forces, sort of pull on either side of that. But we and we've been doing that now for two hundred years at least. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, again, like this idea of transgressing against nature and nature fighting back is huge in the movie, right? Like the atomic bomb is seen as sort of this deeply unnatural thing, a sin against nature. Exactly, and that Godzilla is our punishment. I guess for being arrogant. Yeah. You know, there's a biblical tie in here. You talk about forbidden knowledge. Is it a bow tie? It is. Yeah. So ultimately they're successful in defeating the monster at the cost of the scientist's life. Um, and there's a sense that like this well, he isn't the himself, only, right? yeah, he martyrs himself to, to he kill. takes the unobtainium down to the depths, <laughs> unscrews it. And yeah. b- boils Godzilla in the water. And himself. And himself. And the reason that he does that is because he doesn't want anyone else to... Have his technology. Yeah, and weaponize his, his technology. Yeah. So, like, obviously there's a lot of elements of kind of, like, apologizing or rewriting the end of the Second World War. Because I thought, to me at least, there was some sort of sense, and, and maybe you guys feel the same way or feel differently, but it, it felt a lot like there was a... A kind of like a recognition of like the tactics we were using in this war were brutal and the thing that sort of it ended in was inhuman and disgusting but it made us realize like what trajectory we were on as well 
I don't know. I, I was sort of, I was kind of like. Uh, it depends what you mean by we. <laughs> yeah, I guess we, the Japanese, mm. right? Like, it, like it felt, there felt like there was real contrition in the point of view of the people who were fighting Godzilla. And if Godzilla is this sort of metaphor for the atomic bomb or for like the the war machine, I don't know. Uh, it didn't. There, it felt introspective in a way that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I feel like there's. I mean, I don't want to speak for Japanese culture. But, yeah, um, me neither. Society, but it to me, uh, one thing I notice is there's no military because the army's outlawed, right? So it's coast guard, right? And basically, and I, I guess even police. Think of that. Yeah, and police. Um, I don't know where the tanks come from, but that's a separate issue. But uh, yeah, I didn't exactly get contrition. I think it's more like a realization about human nature, like you were saying, Ref. Like, it's not about we are being punished for our, you know, for, like, the way the Japanese fought World War II. It's about we are being punished because things are out of balance. Like, it's not their fault that there are H-bomb right. tests in the water. No, right? you're, you're totally right. It's it's not a we... You're you're totally right. I think it's more introspective about the future of war, and in a and way, man, this is like a yeah. really pacifistic movie, which right, is pretty exactly. incredible. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and and again, so maybe that was it. Where I was like, what is like, Godzilla? Obviously, is sort of this like, uh, what's it, like a Rorschach test, or like you know, it's like it could mean so many different things. It's just like a giant, like unforgiving, uncontrollable force of nature that is destroying things, and like. It's not really, there's fault, but it's not pointed fault. It's a global fault. Yeah, systemic hubris. Yeah. You know, I think that it's interesting that we're, you know, you get very used to these these tropes, and one of which is, you know, the ability of something to destroy a city. But that's a pretty awesome, you know, in the other sense of awesome, like awe-inspiring, horrifying, terrifying thing to think of is like that there is something capable of destroying a city right it's like this is like this is something you know obviously you know you can bomb a city into oblivion but in sort of in an instant in a flash in one fell swoop something so powerful that could destroy a city i don't think we even register that anymore but it's like that is something that the atomic bomb is capable of yeah there's a historical context there too that we don't that you don't see in the movie which is that uh I think it's Castle Bravo, it's called, which is like the first series of, of hydrogen bomb tests um, immediately preceded this movie. And actually, a Japanese fishing boat was destroyed by wow. a test at Bikini Atoll, I think. Yeah, the Bikini Atoll. Yeah. Um, so, like, you're talking about, you know, how awe-inspiring the, and terrifying the power of a weapon like that is. But we don't remember that... Like the atom bomb was not more destructive than, say, the bombing of, of well, the fire of bombing London, of Tokyo right? or, or Dresden. Tokyo. Exactly. Or, yeah. I mean, like, wait, wait. Let me. Oh get yeah. This. Sorry. There's like, so the the atom bomb did a lot of damage, but it wasn't like there was much more damage in done in the war over the course of the war. The hydrogen bomb is a completely different beast. Like it's an entirely different scale, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could wipe out half of japan with two of those bombs right like yeah. we're not talking about nagasaki like it's a city but it's it was small you know the the blast radius of these bombs was like not even a mile 
Whereas the hydrogen bombs they were testing in, I don't know the radius, but we're talking like New York would be gone. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and th- this was happening off the coast of Japan at the time. And it was, it had only been 10 years. Like we went from never seeing a weapon like this to seeing a weapon that could literally destroy all of mankind like in an instant. Right. Yeah. So, and, and, uh, and to- tr- trigger, yeah. I don't know when, when nuclear winter dates from as an idea, but I mean, you had people espousing throughout this, like, you know, the, the possibility that enough nuclear bombs could like actually ignite the atmosphere of earth. Yeah, they yeah. have you heard that this of the atom bomb too. Yeah. They thought that of the yeah. um, was yeah. that was is that conclusively disproven? Oh yeah, I don't, no, yeah. That, well, that all right. Happen. So and still, I mean, like the cataclysm, apocalypse, right? That's the fear. Yeah, well, and this I think this segues into into sort of a greater point, which is the the Einstein Sillard letter. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name. So like, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. So so essentially, seen the letter though. Yeah, you it's, I, it's Einstein. Einstein. <laughs> Um, yeah. Einstein. Yeah. So, and, and I would say again, you know, we've been friends for a long time, uh, all of us, but I would say I've never seen, (laughs) 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 um, I've never sort of gotten to a place where, uh, Sam and I, I feel like this conversation that Sam and I had many years ago kind of perfectly typified the gulf between our points of view about a lot of stuff. Obviously, I get criticized on the show for being a fascist. And so I'm you're sure pro-nuke? Is that what you're going with? <laughs> Pro-force? No, no I, I, think, well, this is, I think this is the place where it's like almost like coincidence of opposites, where it's like mm-hmm. two people are sides of a coin, and I can't tell. There is no answer, I think, to like... Like, we're the same coin. Where, yeah. do, where do I end and you begin? Exactly. On, uh, on the coinage. Yeah, on That's the coinage. Where, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, so to segue into a greater point, which is really what I wanted to talk about today with the episode, was this idea of um, when mankind realized that the atom bomb was feasible. And it dates back to this letter that this scientist Sillard, the Einstein Sillard letter, which again, I'm not pronouncing his name properly, and I'm sorry about that. I'm sure I'll get some tweets. But um, Sillard was a scientist who, I mean, I guess... Sam, do you know the story any better than me? I don't, I don't know about that guy. I, I've seen the letter and read about what Einstein said afterwards, after the war. Um, he was a pacifist. Einstein was a like militant pacifist, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and his wives might have argued. but Yeah, differently. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So Sillard, I don't know if he was the first uh, physicist to sort of rationally theorize what an atomic weapon could do mm-hmm. or if it was sort of an idea that was on the tip of a lot of people's tongues but essentially he wrote this letter being like okay we understand what would happen if you could unlock the power of the atom or split the nucleus of an atom um, and that's actually a technology that is weaponizable and it's entirely possible that the Germans are working on it right now and they were it turns out yeah, and he got Einstein to sign the letter so that Roosevelt would actually pay attention to it, and I think a bunch of other people. No, I'm, it was just I think the two it's of just, them. It might actually just be Einstein. Like he's writing about the idea that this other guy has talked about. Really, I think I'm not sure. I don't know. I think you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, my thinking of that was, and and this is the conversation that Sam and I had. I was sort of like, okay, at that moment, and Einstein talked about regretting it later in his life. I was sort of like they could have written such a different letter. They could literally have been like, hey, we realize that this technology is possible. Here are the 20 other people who could realize this technology is possible. Find them and kill them. Yeah, that's sort of a fast... Like, how are you going to get behind into Germany and kill 
some scientists you don't even know their names right like the math of this is not like any halfway decent physicist could nuclear physicist could work out the basics of what has to be done and the rest is sort of experimental science as I understand not to say that it's an easy job to figure out how to build an atom bomb but it was you know it took many many physicists it wasn't like there was one guy that had the vision and if you killed him no they just find other physicists to work out the equations and the yeah you know well yeah I guess I think it was actually more about computing power in some ways really I I mean I I don't really know the details that well I meant to bone up but (laughs) yeah yeah, but it was it's but you bone down instead (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I don't know I guess so more globally I thought that this sort of outlined like a kind of a a crossroads between you and me where I was like yeah there is information that's too dangerous to be out in the world and you were like no like it's not the information that's too dangerous to be out in the world it's the lack of education of other people right and it's like if we could I don't know. I don't know yeah. if it's me assuming the worst in people. It's my inner fascist nature. But yeah. And I was sort of like, oh, this is our Magneto Professor X moment. <laughs> I also feel like um, hiding knowledge doesn't actually help. Like if we had instead of um, working on the bomb, if we had just done what you said and tried to kill the people working on it in Germany or somehow undermine the German program well, not just Somebody, the german program i mean okay and later the russian program and so on but like somebody's going to do that science right someone's going to end up figuring it out and i feel that a weapon like this is monstrous and yeah. to and to work on a project like this is like bordering on the, the opposite of what you're supposed to do for science right but i also know that for my grandfather and for the the my family, the people around him and everybody in Los Alamos during that time, it wasn't a question of what's moral. It was a question of what do we need to do? Like they thought they were at war. Right. right. So it's sort of a, a, the question that we were discussing in high school was like, should the technology be pursued? And I think the answer to that question is no. Right. I still feel that, which is but, interesting because I'm on the opposite side. It's right. like, if you think the other guy is doing it again, well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. in, in the circumstance of cold war where, and I think in, in historical hindsight, a lot of this is essentially propaganda that like the escalation of the cold war was a result in large part of there being parties who wanted the cold war to escalate. Right. Right. Like it wasn't build, necessary build to, up of the military industrial yeah, complex. Exactly. Yeah. So it like, there could have been a diplomatic way to unwind this at the beginning, um, which I think would have been better for mankind in general, right. obviously. But coming to Los Alamos in 1956 or whenever, I don't know the exact, actually it might yeah. have been earlier. I guess my dad was born in Los Alamos, so he would have been there before in in like 1949 or 1950, I guess. Yeah, which to be fair, um, also to be clear, your grandfather didn't work on the first Manhattan Project. Right. He worked on the development of the hydrogen bomb. Right. Um, they thought they were at war. Everybody in America thought that, you know, the Russians were going to bomb us, right? That it was going to be the end and it was going to... So the only realistic solution that anybody could see, which is insane in hindsight, that this was the only solution anybody could see, but yeah. that was what the reality was for these for people like my grandfather. Now you're right? swaying me over to your side because I'm like, I, I can see myself be swept up in that very yeah, easily. Yeah, no, I, and I don't blame 
my grandfather or any of the people who worked at and I you know yeah those people are all well, no, I think good people like scientists who were pursuing yeah an edge in what looked like an insurmountable in the face of an insurmountable enemy I still think it's wrong like morally reprehensible that that's where we ended up yeah you know? I don't know what well, do you I think, think I think no one has the right to make you feel bad about that I mean I don't know I, I'm just saying I think there are two separate questions one is what is the morality of scientific exploration that leads to escalation of war and and escalation of like cultural trauma right right but there's also a question of in the face of an enemy which is going to wipe us out what do you do what do you do like what lengths are we willing to go to and i don't think those lines are necessarily in the same place i know they weren't for my grandfather yeah i totally agree i know raf thoughts on this one there's there's culpability if you know that what you are working on is a weapon and even if you consider yourself a scientist um what you're doing is a partly destructive act now relatively it is nowhere near as culpable as the actors behind the scenes who created the situation wherein uh the pursuit of a weapon as destructive as the h-bomb is a good is a thing that people are, are doing that's not right. his fault you're, you're, you know he's yeah, not he's not, not pioneering the h-bomb it's like guess what guys i got he's this not great robert mcnamara yeah it's like right. i got this great discovery uh it is a bomb that is just big and it will kill everything but you know there's a level of culpability you can always yeah. you could always abstain from you could always you you choose to do or not to do things you can abstain from it it, what he did, I don't think it ranks as the most morally reprehensible. Act. No, what I'm saying, it's not that I, I agree with you. I'm just saying that I think his drama, his narrative going through that experience was probably closer to like, what can I do to serve my country in the face of what he saw as evil, mm-hmm. right? Um, and not just talking about the Soviet Union, right? Specifically talking about this weapon, like this weapon being potentially dropped on America, Right. Right. Um, and I would argue that during the World War Two, you know, I mean, it's of course, it's impossible to say how much they knew about the German bomb project. But it became clear after the war that there was no uh, urgency. Yeah, they weren't even close. Right. Right. No, no, like not only were they not close, like the route they were on never would have reached, never would have yielded an effective weapon. Which, I mean, a good part of it was just because they were killing all of their prime Jewish scientists. <laughs> or, or chasing them away. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, I don't know, again, I didn't bone up, but but so, to me, like, yes, I agree with you 100%, Raph, um, but you said it, it's like, Asher, it's like McNamara, that's the, the real culprit. Yeah, Kissinger and, is the real you know, gargoyle. The only reason the stupid war lasted as long as it did not the only reason. A big reason. That's a dumb thing to say. A big Not reason McNamara. is that Robert McNamara. McNamara and Kissinger are Vietnam. I was just using yeah, them as an yeah, example. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I don't know. I mean, so you know, I, I'm not hip to the sort of who Henry was. Kissinger. Yeah. <laughs> talks. I can't talks do to a my impression. Place. I was the leader of the free world. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, what were you saying, Ro? Yeah. So, stepping back, taking a couple steps back, um, I think that there's a distinction um, that, you know, to get into the sort of like broader debate over uh, 
you know, the dissemination of information and whether or not that it should be constrained in any way, whether there are ideas that are inherent, knowledge is inherently dangerous. I mean, I think you need to sort of, uh, uh, split the hair of what is knowledge and what is knowledge, knowledge that's sort of wrapped up in action. Like, is there knowledge that is just wrong in and of itself? Huh? I mean, we have this preoccupation, which I, we, um, you know, we, we have this sort of like mindset. Um, uh, this, this, I guess it's kind of American dogma, which, um, we're very, we are sort of super inclined. We're super biased towards this idea that information full is is information is good full stop that there's this marketplace of ideas and that bad information will out and it, and you know and the, the natural order of things uh good information and good knowledge will triumph and that's that also comes out of and that's a that's a, it's like a weird shadow it's of Adam another, Smith. Another yes, thank you. Another it's, founding principle of this country is the idea of the invisible hand. So right. this is sort of the same the same mechanism at play, one in the sphere of economics, one in the sphere very broadly of like the marketplace of ideas. And it's a false idea of a rational marketplace, right? Exactly. Yeah, which is I mean that's it's such it's a demonstrably false. You are I mean, yeah. Because that the fact that people are so wrong about so many things. That, that, that well, this, the, you know, it's the the reason that we have that idea is not, you know, because I think of, of sinister forces, but I think it's because it's a really satisfying idea. And it's really like, I think, you know, yeah. nine times out of 10, I will say that it's like laziness over evil. Some people are straight up evil and do deeds, you know, at the expense of others to gain things. Fine. But like, for the most part, I think that people believe that you know, marketplaces, be they intellectual or monetary, are logical because it would take so much more work to say, no, a marketplace isn't inherently logical and we actually have to build a structure up right. to make sure that it that it's democratic, that it empowers ideas that may be nothing and then become something so profound. You know, I mean... And just as a quick segue, uh, in terms of, you know, how much, how many things have we gained from sort of aimless scientific advancement, you know, where it's like, you know, what has NASA really done in terms of like, oh, you know, uh, getting geckos to hump each other in outer space. But then like, how many, you know, realistic gains have we made because, you know, we can do... Yeah, like laser eye surgeries because we had like those docking mechanisms. Like there are so many things that are. The Who docking. does not have in in every home an a gecko humping machine? Yeah, that's. I'm sorry. I did I did I just jump down the thing? But basically, all I'm saying is really like I think that the reason that we have such a hold to this idea of a rational marketplace. I mean, first of all, it's because of entrenched interests and people want to feel like they're justified in the gains that they've had and that it's not just because they're like rich white Protestant men, right? And then second of all, it's because like like any sort of fundamentalist religion that you can't really explain at the core of it, to start to tear that wall down is a really frightening thing for a lot of people. And I think to say that markets aren't rational, be they intellectual or fiscal, is that's... It, to somebody well, like Paul Ryan is like yeah, looking so into the fucking abyss. They're rational. They are rational in the sense that I think they are very good at self-sustaining. Yeah. I think they're not rational in the sense that they get us to anything 
uh, resembling happiness or progress or, or progress or a good state of society. I mean, these are these are two different things. Yeah, and I think that it's that's Adam Smith's wonderful myth is that by making a profit, you're you're doing something that 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 is just good. You just improve society. Don't ask me how, not, but you just do it. That's not exactly what Adam Smith says. That's the the conclusion that American like culture has drawn from Adam Smith. Right? Adam Smith says that in a in a free market where all things all other things being equal, then the invisible hand will encourage prices to reach their stable point. Their equilibrium, which is fair, right? But mm-hmm. so. And I think actually, because we don't have that in America at all, we don't have a, f- a free market. Yeah, we have. And we also and don't. Interests. We don't take any effort to try to encourage such a thing to exist, right? Which right. Adam Smith talks about needing. Like you're supposed to have oversight, which, you know, like like a shepherd, which keeps the market sort of homogenous and com- competitive, right? We talk about doing that, but we don't. We do the opposite. But I think the same is true in science, right? And I think that the development of the hydrogen bomb is an example where it's like, actually, these ideas are not useful to anybody except the people that are perpetuating, were perpetuating the idea that we needed to be fighting this war, this race, right? It was so... so I just want to... Sorry, I I just want to say I'm reasonably confident, but I, I take it that I may be wrong that Adam Smith did say that the Commonwealth fully in and of itself is improved by the uh, pursuit of profits profit uh, yeah it, but I'm saying um, yeah in, and in obviously the absence he did, that was of large actors in yeah. the absence of monopolies yeah, in he, the absence of state control of certain resources yeah, he was pretty explicit right? against a lot of like the stuff that crony capitalism that we have right, exactly, now it, you exactly. know and like I think that I, I I don't even like to call crony capitalism. That's I, just, I don't know. That's just, that's I don't just have how a good works. Expression that's just for it. How I know. Works. You're right. Well, you're right. You know what I mean, though. We're talking about yeah. vested interests it's, and it's entrenched about, interests. Like let's call them, or I don't know how would we call it. It's like it's about it's capitalism. like legislative capture, right? It's, it's working how it's supposed to be working. It's not. It's not because the interests of because there are actors in the market who control factors that should be allowing entry of new actors exactly right so so it's in other words for instance if you wanted to grow um, so so they're, they're, of corn, they're constraining competition artificially the, the 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 ones who benefit from that constraint constrain it yeah which i i mean i'd have to read it again but in my memory of wealth of nations is that it's specifically prescribed he specifically says in a system without such um homogen or it's the other one heterogeneity whatever in the in the absence of a single or a few large actors who are bottlenecks that's a free market that's what we're talking about right because he was talking about the in in opposition to the idea of feudalism where you have a few people holding all the seeds say right I mean, I don't know. I, I I could be way off base with this. This is my understanding of of how that works. Okay. I I honestly think that if Adam Smith was around today, he would probably be like voting for Bernie. 
Like I, I think that he's his view of the way that like a, a logical market. I, we're way off base with Godzilla guys. But no, if no, no. But I in, think it's relevant no, to, it's totally to the relevant. science thing that we're talking about because it's the same idea. We're talking about the, you know, what is place it moral does morality to have science that's dangerous, that's destructive? Yeah. Is right? it right the base to buy market. a Chrysler? <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. I get worked up about it. Sorry, guys. No, this is... We should we should do a little research on Adam Smith and then do a, do a re-edit. We'll do like an addendum yeah. to this yeah. episode. Sam was wrong. Having actually Adam read Adam all Laugh of... was right. Have I actually read Adam Smith the first time oh, God. all around? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I used to have a copy of it here. I don't have it anymore. I read some of it. It was dense. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to read the whole thing and understand it. I don't know. Yeah, well, maybe we'll get a cliff note. <laughs> you know, it's just... <laughs> anyway, to bring it back to Godzilla, there's at least some discussion we're having about the idea or the necessity of someone acting as a moral representative in an open marketplace, right? Idea marketplace, uh, fiscal marketplace, right? Or at least that morality isn't baked into the cake of a marketplace. <laughs> yeah, that's, I like that's that. Obvious. That's a good metaphor. Um and so, like, I immediately, my my thought is, then we need cops. <laughs> like, that's where my, and again, this is where you and I right. diverge. Right, you think Thought we need police. cops, I think we need consensus, right? Right, probably right. we need both. I think we need something between those two extremes, yeah. Let me throw out a little hypothetical here, yeah, because yeah. it actually kind of fits neatly into the whole Godzilla premise, is that, again, this idea between um, the free exchange of ideas and uh, ideas that are ideas or knowledge, I guess, that are necessarily wrapped up in actions and is um, the knowledge of a weapon, you know, the, the, the ability to create a weapon like in Godzilla, um, you know, is that is that knowledge in and just in and of itself or is it knowledge that is inherently um, able to act upon, be able to be acted upon? And I think that there's an extension into... Um, there's a contemporary debate on 3D printing of guns. And I think there's a lot of similarities between uh, the ideas in Godzilla and the idea of like, you know, is should this knowledge creating this oxygen destroyer, should this exist? Um, should we be allow, allowing people to 3D print guns? It's not just that there's an idea out there. It's not just there's like, oh, the idea, even if you could even conceive it, idea of 3D printing guns. I mean, it's hard to even imagine what that is, but it is knowledge. It is information. It's information in the form of a, um, you know, I don't know, computers, JavaScript, um, C++, AOL, you know, <laughs> CD-ROM, yeah. HTTR. I don't know what that is. That's not a thing. It's like, I assume cool. you take your floppy disk and, you know, you run it between your ass cheeks and you put that becomes a and the hard CD-ROM disc. becomes a hard disk. <laughs> and uh you know and 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 a gun comes out. No, it's of the computer's floppy drop swat. Can I can I jump in for a sec? No, I prefer not to know anything about this. I I like my version. But it's a good it's a good metaphor because I think to me the 3D printing guns thing is like the obvious obviously correct to me moral position is that it should not be illegal to have the files that allow you to print a gun because that would mean it would be illegal to contain digital information on a hard drive. You know, to even characterize it to me as information 
um, misses what it actually is. Because this is what I when I said earlier that we're so inclined um, as Americans to just say like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna say that anybody can't have an idea. I'm not gonna say anybody can't have knowledge. Um, it's not banning an idea. It's banning something that is is information but is information that is so intrinsically linked to an act so you know having this mm. you plug it into a computer a gun comes out i mean you couldn't create for you know this is funny this is like a real debate because you couldn't create a better hypothetical i think than this of like why some knowledge actually is inherently dangerous right and obviously it's you know which is this to be limited in scope which is why at the but end of the print movie, a fucking gun. I mean, when shit. Shirazawa like takes his own life so that nobody else will use the oxygen destroyer, I, I applauded him. I was sort yeah, of like, it's too. it's shitty and it sucks and and it sort of runs counter to you know the fact that I don't know. I mean, did you guys feel that like you know she sort of loved him? Yeah, more she than, says it. As, yeah, as a brother, more. Oh, but uh, you didn't think that there was a romantic love between them? I think it's fairly heavily implied that he loves her that way. Yeah, I thought I thought that it was both, and that I didn't get that sense. But yeah, anyway, no, maybe you're right. Maybe mm-hmm. I, maybe I really I was sort of my antenna were not fully on Developed it with yet. this. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I thought that he did the right thing, mm. which sucks. Yeah, which implies that. I uh, sure agrees with you. I mean, actually, to be honest, Raph, like I think you've maybe swayed me a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. And I've heard a lot of arguments on this point. Um, and like, I do think there are lots of ways you can paint the question that make it like patently absurd. Like, for instance, did you know there's an illegal prime number? What? There's a prime number that if you pass it through the proper compiler, you get a virus, which is illegal to own in the same way that Holy shit. Yeah. And so that's a number, right? We're talking about there's a number line. And if you go far enough out, there is a prime sitting there, which it's illegal to write down in any form in America. Any form? Yeah. You're not even allowed to write it down like with a pencil because someone could type it into a computer and then it would be a virus. Holy shit. Yeah. So, and that's (laughs) a dumb question, but is, is this real? Yeah, I know you're saying it right now. I didn't. I mean, I didn't make it up. Someone may have lied to me, but that's my understanding. Which, um, and then there's also like another example would be poppies, right? Opium poppies. Sure. It's illegal to own them if you know how to extract opium from them. Yeah, it's illegal to slit the pods. No, it's illegal to own them if you know that you just need to slit the pods. If you don't have that information, they're just flowers in your garden. But as soon as you're aware of the process, this is. I heard this on. Uh, Mike Masnick, uh, what the fuck is this podcast called? I don't know. Uh, shit. Tech, tech dirt. That, that sounds like an incredibly convoluted. That's a hard thing to prove. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll look it up later. But, yeah. but my point is that there are, there are examples which make your argument, you know, ad absurdum. Like it reaches a point where you're like, no, that can't be right. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So I sure. agree with you that like we need to have some reasonable boundaries. But, and previously I had disagreed that guns should be like that, that print that, that plan of a gun should be illegal to own. Um, but I don't know, maybe you change the, the way I like to frame the, I mean, I just, I feel like we get, 
uh, very bogged down in, you know, our biases and our presuppositions and our dogma. And it's just, it's interesting to me that in a way, the more clear headed way to, to approach these questions is just to ask, is it good? You know, not just like, is it like, is it right that, you know, you know, in the scheme of things, this knowledge um, that could be potentially dangerous, like, you know, do we want to um, right. impinge on f- the freedom of expression or any way that we say ideas are dangerous or illegal or wrong or any, but I think a similar question is a good. And I think that the answer to that is like, you know, I have my perspective that being able to fucking print a gun is bad, is bad. Well, would you feel other people might disagree if we lived under like a fascist regime that was had outlawed all guns and was imprisoning us? Like, I'm not saying we're headed there, but like in that, in that hypothetical, would you feel differently? No, I think I would feel differently. Yeah. Right. Because it's, so, it's, it's wrong that they're, it's wrong what they're doing so i should be able to right. murder them <laughs> right and you should like be able i to think have no. yeah so then, it's the same yeah. it's the same question so then is the, it good then the laws if they're break fascist down. yeah i mean uh, we're getting a bit in the weeds here so i want to yeah. go back we've been in the weeds <laughs> yeah we've been instead, so instead of, back. In, what i'm saying is like so therefore the working on the bomb makes sense in the context of there is a dangerous enemy who is working on the bomb, which was true during the Cold War, right, unlike right. during World War One, World War Two, right? Yeah. So in that context, is it is it now less immoral? I'm not arguing the point. Like I'm just I'm just asking the question. I think I agree yes. that it's it was immoral. But does that context change change your reasoning if, or the shade of, of yeah. morality? So if you could say, if you want to break it down, if you could say that um, the greater good is creating a weapon to fight this evil enemy. Right. Albeit, you know, it's like the, you know, the, the conundrum of, you know, do you, you know, you're at, you're, you're at a train, you're, you're at a railroad and there's an out of control train careening down the tracks. Um, you're the only person close enough. The way it's careening down the tracks, it will run over five people who are, for whatever reason, tied this up on the tracks. What's that? This is a trolley problem. It's a trolley, yeah, the it's trolley, a trolley problem. problem. The, the cave, I, uh, the minor worker problem. Yeah. Should you switch the track and kill one person? Should you switch? Exactly. Should you switch? Right. You're the only person who can do this. Should you switch the track and kill one person? Is that morally right to do? And I guess it's, you know, the, the question is like, do you, you know, n- n- no act is without um, moral pitfalls. And so what do you do? Do you create the bomb that to counter an enemy that's more evil, or do you say, you know, I'm creating something that is a a, a, a weapon of death, an instrument of death? What do I do? Right. I don't know, man. That's a that's a hard one. I mean, that's that's yeah. when you get into this. Instead, you know, you you want to. I like to just take it out of like, and I say this as a lawyer, take it out of like the legal abstractions, mm-hmm. and just deal in ter- terms of like uh, we we get we get mixed up in these ideas of like you know. Um, trying to like uh, codify our thinking in this way, and instead we just we lose the the thread of what's what's right, what's wrong, which is a, I think a better question to be asking most of the time. But then you get into those situations where it's a trolley problem, and you're like, I don't know, that's yeah, it's not so simple after all. So yeah. there's limits to my approach. Right. I concede that. So yeah, I think I mean, we need to just leave it hanging. I think it's no, there's no, no answer. No, I think that's right. And I think, you know, growing up, I asked this question to my dad um, and other people in my family. And like, I think everybody is more or less on the same page as you. Like it was, a, 
it's a terrible evil that this thing was created mm-hmm. and we don't have the right to judge the people who thought that it needed to be done we do have the right to judge the people who think it needed to be dropped and the people yeah. who think you know we need to make this a thing that people will be so terrified of that they will think we need to do it well and the people who right. perpetuated the conflict for the sake right. of funding yeah basically henry kissinger you know, <laughs> there's like the there's the um the myth i just call it a myth that this was the only way to end world war ii yeah. was to drop the bombs that's pretty widely and it's it's debunked, it's yeah. it's widely debunked that you know the idea was that japan would never have surrendered um their like the, the invasion land invasion of japan would have cost untold millions of lives and it's just like i don't think that's true no i mean it's totally but not i true, think the yeah. people in charge believe that to be true no i don't think that's even true it's it's interesting actually again, i should have boned up but well yeah because yeah, i i have just this is like Why a very small up? piece of evidence but um i was talking to my roommate will about this and and he said he was essentially like oh yeah well you know they since world war Two, since the planned invasion of japan and again this might be false it might not be true we've never made any more purple hearts we haven't manufactured new purple hearts because we assumed that the casualties and the woundings would be so grave and so massive in the land invasion of Japan that they manufactured like, you know, hundreds of thousands of purple hearts to go to the, or maybe even millions, you know, to go to the, the family. I guess millions is not possible, but um, depends on where you're giving the Russian soldiers. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. To give, I don't know. I mean, that might know, be true. I, to me that, that speaks like, that's a small piece of evidence that supports the idea that like, I, I think it's probably both. I think there were people who were cynical and I think that there were people who were not. I mean, obviously there's the political thing of like Wilson needed to win an election, right? And like, how do you explain to the families who? of the, not Wilson. Oh, fuck. Hang on. There's the political element, True. right? Of <laughs> Thank you. Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, I, I know. Thanks. <laughs> World War One. <I. laughs> yeah, my bad. It was still right. a World War though, so we'll let, yeah. we'll let it slide. Cool. It was the war. Yeah. The Great War. Um, the, the Boer War? The Boer War. Yeah, yeah. which uh, if we're going to talk the about, the roses. <laughs> about backstories. <laughs> I think all our jobs are in jeopardy. Oh, God. Not mine. Yeah. So I'm going to call should have my boss. boss. We yeah. should have my boss on this show one time. We he, should. He'll make you we'll feel see, like... Uh, we'll see if we can put your job in jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, so there Sam, were, is it true that you jack off at work? <laughs> there day. were a couple more things I wanted to just hit on. Um there were sort of some elements of Italian neorealist cinema. There were some film noir stuff in the movie that I thought was really beautiful. That iconic shot of Godzilla's back with the flames uh, is still incredibly resonant. And Godzilla's scream, I thought, yeah. was still oh, yeah. fucking frightening. Yeah. How did they do that? I don't know. I want it as my ringtone. It's so good. Yeah. It's a great scream. And actually, I, I will also say, just, you know, again, on a, on a weird, this is like a really personal episode, which is fucking bizarre for like a movie about a giant I love you, ocean lizard, was like, I had legit 9-11 flashbacks from hearing the Godzilla foot stomp. Because like, you know, it reminded me so much of the widescreen, like the sort of width or the breadth of the sound of the, the first plane when i was i was in new york i was in college whatever 
Um, and that that sort of uh, we'll cut this. This is no, right. don't cut this. But uh, but yeah, it, that it, it just there was something about that because I don't know. I hate it when you people were, use no, 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 nine eleven or anything it's to a get tra- more it, gravity. But it was like no, it was a trauma. You were there. Yeah, it, it reminded yeah. me none, of that. None that of us, none sound. of the rest of us, were in New York, and we have kind of like a weird survivor guilt about it. This is true. Yeah. So there, there was like a you know the width of that sound. It was like it wasn't that it was the loudest sound I ever heard, but it was the widest. It was the biggest sound I've ever heard. Um anyway, so I Godzilla's suspect that his scream was designed to elicit that response from people about the bombings. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah you're probably right. And obviously there was tons of imagery from, you know, post-war Japan right. sort of sewn throughout the movie, yeah. not literally, but yeah. Um so, yeah, I guess the last sort of thing I wanted to hit on was, like, uh, so if we can kind of, if if we're sort of leaving it up in the air, we're not sure if there should be or shouldn't be sort of suppression of certain types of information. I was just wondering if you guys thought that there was any information right now that was being actively suppressed. As a thought experiment. I, I see know. a book on your shelf called Conspiracies and Secret Societies. <laughs> Which you got so I think maybe we could just, you know, read read that and read come back it, yeah, with just, our... No, I, I, I want to read it into the podcast. Oh yeah. For suppressed knowledge. I think it's quite clear that that happens all the time. Right? Fair enough. Um but specifically what? I don't know. Well, not necessarily what, but like sort of the nature of what you think. I don't know. I, I guess I was sort of like, I just wrote that down in my notes. I was like, gee, you know, like, I wonder what science stuff is being suppressed right now that like, you know. Warp drive. <laughs> warp drive. Yeah. Because we can come up with that kind of level of power to simulate. Well, we could if we had read the paper that told us how to do it, which was hidden by the U.S. Army. Fair enough. Mm. Yeah. No, but I, I thought I, you. I thought you said that eventually scientists would come up with it, no matter what. So one dude has a <laughs> has a fucking Star Trek paper. Uh, was it? Um, yeah, Alcubier. Captain Kirk. <laughs> I was about to say. Yeah, was Alcubier. Okay, they didn't. Was he a hide his paper? It's a real thing that exists. But as Asher said, the, we don't know how much energy, and it's probably more than exists in the universe. Yeah, it's not a. But no, I'm. I'm Oh, well, there's more energy than But there are the real universe. things. Like, for instance, I'm sure Just there are tons universe. of discoveries at Los Alamos that were never disclosed. Some because they're not useful and some because they're more useful as secrets. Fair enough. Um, shall we throw it to endorsements, guys? I just want to say that I don't think that there's a great deal. I think any information that's, that's actively being suppressed is probably... I don't know. I'm based on nothing, but just my inclination to say is probably pretty minor. But I think that there's a lot of information that is known that is uh, not suppressed, or but is syst- systematically no systematically ignored, disempowered. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, yeah, this is totally. information that is sort of swept under the rug, Which and I think that it's dangerous. yeah, it's just it's so easy to give people other information or contrary information or to sell them on a story in so many different ways that things that are known are devalued or yeah. ignored. Yeah, that's or universal healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> fact that the fact that capitalism is only 200 years old, the fact that it's not, that you know, monkey working. monkeys poking sticks <laughs> into fucking termite mounds. Like that's not, that's not capitalism. Like it just like the fact that we like, it's easier for us to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Mm-hmm. This is, I don't really hate this episode. Yes. I'm, I'm so glad that he skipped it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So should we throw it to cool stuff for this week? What do you guys yeah. have? I don't have a whole lot actually. Asher? Raph? 
I got one, but you go first. You, got, I, you want me to go first? Okay, cool. I, I've got a cool one this week, I think. It's a little nerdy. Um, I, so I want this podcast. Yeah, that's true. Really? I want to I want to plug um an Instagram handle that I that I think is cool that's non-sci-fi related. There are the, some really the cool The Jolly Cat. Yeah, I would say no, not not the Jolly Cat, which is deranged and amazing. But and and not Killian Ang, if you're not following him on Instagram, you should. He's an incredible artist and uh yeah, I think his book Object 10 is really cool and you should pick that up. It's like concept art for science fiction novels and movies that don't exist but i'd say every image in object 10 is tells a very wonderful and amazing story cool what's the what's it called object 10 by cool. by an artist named killian ang but no my my endorsement this week or my cool thing this week was an instagram handle called player grade vintage which is uh it's an he's an english luthier who remakes les pauls uh it's a type of electric is guitar luthier is yeah. that like one who plays a lute no, Luthier is a guitar maker. Oh, okay, yeah. Cool. Unless I'm sense. mispronouncing it, at which point... It could be Luthier. Yeah, it might be. Or Luthier, I don't know. Um, I think it's Luthier. Anyway, he's he's an English Luthier who um, makes... He does these period-correct uh, sort of like refinishes of semi-valuable Les Pauls into replicas of basically the most expensive guitar in existence. It's sort of this legendary Les Paul called the burst. And I've sort of been obsessed for a long time with the idea of like how an object accrues value and what makes it valuable. Um, And so I, from his Instagram handle and like the way that he remakes these sort of period correct, you know, very valuable instruments, it sent me on a deep dive into like, you know, researching like the history of people who have forged them and uh and how like you know somebody stole the original record books out of the factory from the years that they these guitars were in production so it's like there were you know people theorize that like 1500 of them were made but there's you know 2000 on the market nah. so i don't know it's it's cool so player grade vintage on instagram is really cool um yeah cool that's dope what um you- so what i got so uh the fact that godzilla has uh Takashi Shimura, I think is his name. Yeah. One I'm one of my favorite actors of all time. And that led me like, okay, so maybe I'll throw out a Kurosawa movie out there. But of course, Kurosawa is very well known and everybody should watch Seven Samurai, but by actual And Rashomon. Rashomon, Throne of Blood, Ikiru. I mean, just like any any Kurosawa movie is Kagimusha is ran. Incre- ran ran incredible. God, yeah. Any Kurosawa movie is incredible, but um, keeping in Japanese movies, I think one of the lesser known, lesser known relatively, is uh, Sancho the Bailiff, by and the director is Kenji Mizoguchi, and it is one of the most amazing meditations on duty and the concept of good and evil and what it is to act according to good and like the stuff we're talking about. And I think that Sancho the Bailiff is one of my favorite movies of all time. Awesome. I'm into so, it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Oh, Sam? actually. Worth, I, worth it. Worth it. I have a band that you guys should probably check out. Oh, awesome. Um, you might have heard of them. Uh, it's like four guys. Beatles. Fuck. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Bustard. sir. <laughs> Dup, 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 no, it was the Stones. Um, that was five guys. Yeah. Damn Fuck it. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. All right, yeah. Thanks we, so we much. Do, for we gonna do uh, our Twitter handles yeah. or whatever. 
<laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Asher Lack. I'm at Case of Piles. I'm on, um, I forgot about this. I'm on Mixcloud. Uh, no, I'm serious. Heteronomy. Cool. And you can also follow the show uh, on everything. Yeah, it's, it's at Robot House Pod, and it's spelled H-A-U-S. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Until next time. See ya. I'll That's see you the same. way to spell robot. I Sam, hate you. Sam, <laughs> Sam's fucking fired. This is Sam's last episode. No! Bye, Sam. Uh, later. <laughs>